Hello, my name is Nigel Bowden. I'd like to welcome you to episode 15 of the Wi-Fi for Beginners podcast. This is a series of podcasts discussing the fundamentals of wireless LAN networking. In each episode, we'll take a look at a different aspect of Wi-Fi to build your understanding and knowledge of wireless LAN networks. Each episode is accompanied by a set of slides describing the topics covered in that episode, although you don't need to review these slides while listening to the podcast. They will be useful for review material we discuss and may provide some visual aids to help you more fully understand some of the concepts and equipment described. All recordings and supporting material can be found at my website, which is wififorbeginners.com. If you're a new listener to the podcast, the podcast series itself is split into a series of major topics where we look at major aspects of wireless LAN networking. And we're currently uh, in the middle of module number five, where we're taking a look at wireless LAN clients. Uh, If you haven't heard any of the previous episodes, you might like to go back to episode number one and work your way through all of the episodes as we build on our knowledge as we move through the various topics that we're covered. So before we continue with our discussions around wireless LAN clients, just going to do a very quick recap of what we covered in the last episode, just to refresh your memory bring you back up to speed. So in the last episode we started with a review of a number of amendments which are often used to describe wireless client capabilities. We looked at amendments such as A22.11a, B, G, N and A22.11ac and these are often used to describe the maximum connection speeds and the bands that are used by various wireless LAN clients and it's pretty important that you know these amendments so that when people are talking to you about the capabilities of a client uh, you know what to expect. We also took a quick look at the evolution of wireless LAN clients over the past few years. Things have uh, certainly moved along at a fair pace. In the early days of wireless LANs, there tended to be very few wireless LAN clients within an organization, and they tended to be fairly niche-type devices or a few people with maybe uh, wireless laptops. And these were provided by and managed by uh, an employee's organization. Uh, And then as we had the uh, emergence of consumer-grade devices, which became more and more popular, people use them at home, there became more and more pressure uh, for IT departments to actually support them uh, in the workplace so that people could use the same types of devices they used at home in the workplace and this was uh, obviously things like the uh, Apple iPad and the Apple iPhone which really kicked this off Uh, and on the back of this we had the whole emergence of the BYOD, the bring your own device trend which allowed people to use these consumer-grade devices uh, for their day-to-day work. Unfortunately, there were quite a few challenges with introducing these devices into the workplace, uh, specifically around security and the management of these devices. We've seen that the demands on wireless LANs have increased significantly over recent years due to uh, trends such as BYOD and it certainly looks like the demands on wireless LANs are set to continue uh, into the future with the rise of IoT, that's the Internet of Things uh, devices where we're going to be actually connecting more and more devices onto existing wireless LAN networks. We also started to take a look at wireless client behaviour. We contrasted how with uh, the 802.3 standard, the Ethernet standard, we have just a single frame type if we start looking down at the uh, packet decode level. Uh, But if we take a look at 802.11, we actually have three individual frame types. We also discussed how Ethernet frames typically carry just uh, user data uh, as the payload for each Ethernet frame and uh, this is typically uh, an IP packet up at the layer 3 level. With the 802.11 standard, as I said, we have three individual frame types. We have the uh, data frame, which is uh, pretty much the same as we have with Ethernet and the uh, the payload of this particular frame is uh, an IP 
packet typically. We also have control frames and management frames. And we also started to take a look at why we need these additional frame types in uh, the wireless LAN environment. We talked about the fact that uh, wireless LAN is an unbounded medium. It's a, uh, a medium which is available over quite a wide area. So we need additional functionality compared to Ethernet networks. Uh, so we need to emulate things like the action of plugging in uh, an Ethernet cable into a network with a wireless network. We obviously don't have that same mechanism. We have to use a, an association mechanism. We also need to overcome the fact that we've got no collision detection of frames within a wireless LAN network. And also we have to overcome the fact that we've got no exclusive access to the RF medium for any particular station. So these are all reasons that we need these additional frame types to give us this additional functionality for wireless LANs compared to uh, Ethernet networks. Okay, after that review of the previous topics we covered, we're going to dive back into 802.11 frame types. If you're following along with the slide deck, we're actually on slide number 25. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into why we need the three types of 802.11 frame types. And primarily uh, because of the restrictions that we have with 802.11 networks, we've got this unbounded medium and we need to try and emulate the uh, connectivity uh, opportunities that we get with um, an Ethernet network. With an Ethernet network you can simply take a cable, plug it into a data point as we move from room to room. We obviously can't do the same thing with a wireless network so we have to provide additional functionality uh, to allow this to happen. And so we have the uh, three 802.11 frame types to facilitate this. We've got management frames, data frames and control frames and we'll just look at each of those in turn in a little bit more depth. So starting on slide number 26 we've actually got management frames. Uh, management frames are used to discover a wireless network, join the network and eventually to leave the wireless network. And we can think of this as the equivalent on an Ethernet network of plugging into an Ethernet switch port. Uh, and in terms of the management frames, uh, it's actually divided into a number of subtypes. And to facilitate discovery, we've got uh, beacon frames, uh, which are used to advertise wireless LANs which are available for clients. This is uh, the SSIDs which are advertised. Uh, we've also got probe frames. We've got probe requests and responses. And uh, probes are actually sent by clients that need to proactively discover networks. So that's what we've got in terms of discovery, in terms of joining a network or rejoining a network. We've actually got association frames which are used by a client to join a wireless LAN and we've got reassociation frames which are used uh, when roaming from access point to access point. And then when we finally want to leave a wireless network, disassociation frames are used to leave the wireless network. So for discovery we've got beacons and probes uh, to join the network, we've got association and reassociation frames and to leave a network we've got disassociation frames. These aren't all of the management frames which are available but these are some of the key management frames uh, that you'll need to know. The next frame type we're going to be looking at is control frames. And control frames are used to actually assist with the delivery of data frames. And uh, some examples of control frames are acknowledgement frames. Uh, if you remember at layer 2 we said that in 802.11 all frames have to actually be explicitly acknowledged. This is because we don't have a collision detection mechanism and the only way that we can verify whether a data frame actually arrived at its destination is to have each frame explicitly uh, acknowledged. So we've got acknowledgement frames. We've also got a variation of acknowledgement frame called the block acknowledgement frame and with block acknowledgements we can actually acknowledge a whole 
series of frames rather than doing each frame individually which obviously increases efficiency. We've also got RTS which is request to send frames and often in association with those we use CTS frames uh, which is clear to send so we use RTS to CTS frames uh, and these are generally used by a station to gain control of the channel so that it can safely send its data without being interrupted by other clients which are contending to use the same channel. Again, these aren't all of the control frames which are available. There are several others available, but these are certainly some of the key ones that you'll need to know. And the final frame type that we have in the A22.11 standard is the data frame. So we've looked at control frames, management frames, now we're looking at data frames. And data frames are the ones that actually carry the data that's passed down from uh, higher layer protocols. So the payload of a data frame, as in uh, an Ethernet frame, is uh, layers 3 to 7 of the OSI stack. So they're generally IP packets that are uh, being passed as the payload for these frames. Uh, and again, as with the other frame types, we've actually got several subframe types uh, that we need to be aware of. The main two are a simple data frame, it's just known as a data frame, uh, which was the initial data frame type that was defined in the original A22.11 standard. And then later on, we actually got the QOS data frame, and this is obviously a data frame that includes QOS information as well. So data frames and QOS data frames are the two main data frame types that you'll see. There are several others, as I say, which are available, but uh, you'll rarely see those used the other data frame you may come across as well is the null data frame, and this is used to provide a number of control type functions. Uh, it's worth thinking about what a data frame actually provides for us. It's the only frame type that actually transports user data from the source to the destination. Uh, if you think about all other frames, we've got management frames, control frames, they all actually provide overhead uh, to the traffic that we're passing. It's not actually end-to-end -end, uh, data uh, that they're actually facilitating. So they do actually represent an overhead uh, to the entire H2.11 protocol, but they are a necessary overhead. But when we're actually considering uh, the throughput which a user is achieving, it's actually only been facilitated by data frames. All of the frames are overhead and these all add to some of the inefficiencies we see uh, with H2.11 compared to Ethernet where all frames are just being sent to transport end-to-end -end user data. So we'll just take a few moments now to discuss how these frames might be used between a wireless access point and a wireless LAN client. If you're actually following along with the slide deck, if you have a look at slide number 29, I actually put a graphic in there where we're actually showing a wireless LAN client, which is a laptop in this particular case, and it's actually joining a wireless network and then it's moving along uh, between two access points and we've just got uh, some information about the types of frames that might be exchanged to allow wireless LAN communication. So we have a wireless LAN client which would like to join uh, a nearby wireless LAN network. So the first thing it needs to do is to actually discover uh, if there are any or suitable wireless LANs in the vicinity. There are two mechanisms for this. If you think back to the management frame types that we talked about which are used for uh, discovering networks, we've got beacon frames which are sent out periodically by wireless access points and these are sent out advertising the different SSIDs, the different wireless LANs which are available. So a client can listen out for these over the air, it can sequentially move through each of the channels and listen to see if it hears any beacons. Uh, or alternatively this can actually take quite a long time uh, to scan through all of the channels and listen on each channel long enough to uh, discover wireless LAN networks and so it can actually um, scan through the channels and send out 
proactive probes on each channel to see if it can get a response from any nearby access points a little bit quicker. And this is particularly useful when we run the 5 GHz networks when we have so many different channels to scan through. So once the wireless LAN client has discovered a network using uh, either beacons or probe frames, it can then attempt to associate with uh, the wireless access point to form a logical connection to join the wireless LAN itself. And then hopefully if it joins successfully through the association process uh, using association frames, again these are management frames, it can then move into the data transfer phase and start to transfer data frames end-to-end -to, -end to whichever particular destination uh, it needs to send its IP packets to. The wireless LAN client will then continue to send its data frames as long as it's in communication with the uh, nearby access point, but if the uh, wireless client should start to move out of the um, range of a wireless access point it can detect that its uh, signal level from the access point is getting weaker and weaker and it starts to think about whether it maybe needs to start searching for a new access point to move to which is maybe a little bit nearer and uh, is going to have a slightly better signal level. One thing to bear in mind is that at any point in time a wireless LAN client can only be connected to uh, a single access point so it can only ever be associated to a single access point but it is uh, permitted to actually listen out for beacons and to do probing on other channels between all of the various data frames that it's sending to the access point that it's currently associated to. So as a wireless LAN client moves away from an access point and starts to get a little bit concerned that its uh, signal is maybe dropping off and maybe its data rates are dropping, uh, it can start to actually listen on other channels for beacons from other access points which might be in the vicinity and it can go off channel from the channel it's currently using to talk to the access point to send data and it can actually start probing on other channels to see if there are any access points in the vicinity that it can actually use as an alternative. And uh, once once the wireless LAN client has identified a suitable alternate access point, uh, it's actually used either beacons or gone through the probing process again. Uh, it can actually do a reassociation frame exchange to move from the original access point to the new access point. And then once the reassociation process has been successfully completed, it can continue to transfer user data frames via the new access point that it's established the association with. It's worth bearing in mind that the frame exchanges we've shown uh, in this particular example are a very high level simplified version of events. Uh, when we're looking in detail at the actual frames which are exchanged between a client and a wireless access point at the time that a client's joining a network and during operations such as roaming, there are actually far more frames and frame types that are exchanged during the whole process. Uh, but hopefully this just gives you a, a very high level view of the use of different types of frame. Uh, we've included some uh, management type frames with the beacons and the probes and the associations uh, and we've also mentioned uh, some data frames in this example but we haven't included things such as the control frames uh, we mentioned the fact that many frames are uh, explicitly acknowledged at layer 2 so we would have at least ACK frames and no doubt one or two other control frames mixed in there as well but hopefully it gives you uh, a good overview of the types of frames which will be exchanged uh, and an idea of the complexity that goes on in the background to facilitate client connectivity to enable data frames to be transferred.
And finally, just want to take another look at client roaming. We've mentioned it a few times previously, but it's a very important topic. Um, we mentioned in the previous example of um, a wireless client moving between access points the way that a wireless client would use uh, different types of frame to roam from one access point to the other. And uh, as we've said previously, the desired behavior for a wireless client is to try and to keep associated to the nearest access point uh, as it moves around a facility. And one of the main drivers for this is so that we can maintain an optimum connection speed um, for a wireless client as it moves around. And we've previously looked at the effect of clients as they slow down, as they move away from an access point, uh, their data rates over the air slow down, and this has the effect of actually slowing other clients which are using the same cell. We use the analogy of traffic queuing to go down a single lane highway, and we found that when we got slower vehicles at the front of the queue, even though we had sports cars further back in the queue, they still had to wait for the slower vehicles ahead of them before they could actually travel at high speed down the highway. And we have this same problem as clients move away from an access point and their speeds drop. They actually cause queuing problems for high speed clients that are waiting uh, to use the same contention domain on the AP cell. But the reason I wanted to come back to roaming is because there's one very important fact that we haven't actually really highlighted up to now. And that is in terms of the roaming decision itself, when a client will actually roam from one access point to the other, it's actually the client which makes that roaming decision you might expect that it's a function of the wireless access point to make the decision when a client is maybe getting too quiet, its signal level is dropping too low, then it would force it to actually roam to another wireless access point. But the way that the A22.11 standard is written, this isn't the case. It's purely up to the wireless client itself to make the decision when it will roam from one wireless access point to the other. And the drawback of this is that many consumer grade clients, things like iPads, iPhones, particularly in the earlier versions of code that they came with, they actually behave very badly from a wireless roaming point of view. Uh, they're traditionally known as sticky clients in that they will actually join one access point and they will stick to that access point at all costs, even though more preferable, louder, higher signal strength access points may be available. Uh, and the reason for this is that consumer-grade devices fundamentally make the assumption that they're being used in the home uh, and many homes have only a single access point you maybe have a uh, wireless router from a service provider and its primary job in life is to stay connected to that particular access point that particular wireless router at all costs so the logic of many consumer grade devices was to stick to one AP as long as they possibly could under the assumption uh, that there was only one access point available this has actually improved over time as uh, manufacturers have become more aware of enterprise type environments and the fact that these consumer grade devices will be used in enterprise environments but uh, there are still many clients which have this sticky quality which makes it very difficult to get them to roam nicely in the enterprise environment and so we end up with clients which are stuck to an inappropriate AP running at very slow speeds and this has an impact on other clients that are using the same cell. In terms of the factors which a client may use to make its roaming decision, uh, the primary one seems to be the receive signal level from an access point. Uh, a client will assess whether or not the signal level is dropping to a dangerously low level and it's time to actually make a roaming uh, decision to move to a new access point if one's available. But there may also be other factors such as uh, connection speed dropping, which again is related to the AP signal level, and certainly the build-up of errors, which again, as a signal level drops, it's harder to maintain higher 
connection speeds and errors may start to rise. Unfortunately, there's no actual standardization within 802.11 around the client roaming decision. The client decision roaming algorithm is unique to each device manufacturer. Um, so unfortunately, it's very hard to predict the roaming behavior of many clients. So in many instances, the only way of actually determining when a client will roam and how it's going to operate in your environment is actually do some testing with that client device to see how it behaves. There have been some initiatives within the 802.11 standard to improve the roaming behavior of clients. There are amendments such as 802.11k, 802.11v, uh, which can certainly help in an advisory capacity. Uh, access points can actually provide information to clients to help them try to improve their roaming decisions, but the actual client decision to make the roam still rests with the client. And in more recent times, some wireless vendors have actually implemented their own mechanisms uh, from the access point side of things, which actually involves making a decision to force clients to roam by actually disconnecting them from the network, uh, which is a fairly brutal method. But certainly in some high density environments, there are very few other options if we want to maintain uh, the quality of connectivity and throughput for other clients. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for this particular episode. We'll be continuing our ongoing discussion of Wi-Fi clients in the next episode. It's actually quite a large topic, so we're going to be covering this over a few more episodes to come. Uh, but it certainly is a key topic, and understanding uh, how wireless clients behave and why they behave in these ways is critical in understanding how wireless LANs operate. So just to quickly recap what we've covered in this episode, we looked at the three different types of 802.11 frames. We've got 802.11 management frames, 802.11 data frames, and 802.11 control frames. And we took a look very briefly at what each type of frame is used for. Uh, we discussed the fact that management frames are used to discover networks, to join networks, and to leave networks. And we briefly talked about uh, beacon frames, probe frames, uh, association, reassociation and uh, disassociation frames. We also talked about the fact that control frames are used to assist with the delivery of data frames and uh, we listed examples such as the acknowledgement frame, block acknowledgement, the RTS and the CTS frame. We also took a look at data frames and we mentioned the fact that the payload of a data frame is the most important part of any wireless LAN network. It's the reason it exists is to actually transport user data uh, from a source to a destination and the payload of a data frame is typically layers 3 to 7 of the OSI stack. In terms of subtypes, we've got a simple data frame uh, and a quas data frame, and we also mentioned the null data frame type. We then took a very brief look at a simplified client frame exchange. We had a wireless LAN client that was discovering a network using beacons and probes, then it used the association frame to actually join the network, then we had an exchange of data frames to transport user data. Then as the wireless client moved away from the AP, it made a roaming decision and it then discovered the wireless LANs available from the new access point using beacons and probes. It used the reassociation frame to join that particular access point and then continued sending and receiving user data frames.
We then took another look at the wireless client roaming process and we emphasized the point that the client roaming decision process is actually a function of the wireless LAN client itself rather than the wireless network. So rather than the wireless network infrastructure itself making the decision on when a wireless client will roam from access point to access point, it's purely a decision made by the wireless client itself. And unfortunately, this client roaming algorithm isn't part of any standardized approach. It's unique between wireless client manufacturers. So I hope this episode has been useful to you with our ongoing discussion of wireless LAN clients. We'll be continuing in this discussion in the next episode of the Wi-Fi for Beginners podcast. You can find all supporting materials, including slides, uh, audio downloads and quizzes at my website, which is wififorbeginners.com. So I look forward to joining you on the next episode of the Wi-Fi for Beginners podcast. Thanks for joining me and I'll speak to you again soon.